This is Daniel Figella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. Here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, we have to keep a pulse of a variety of stakeholders in the AI ecosystem, namely heads of AI and AI leaders at large global organizations, everything from Citibank to HSBC to Raytheon and beyond, as well as obviously the startup ecosystem, from folks who've raised $50 million to folks worth multiple billions in the AI vendor ecosystem. One other party where we draw a lot of insight is venture capitalists. VCs have to do something that often founders don't have to do. While a founder might have a hypothesis that might be driving their assumptions and their strategy for a single company, a venture capitalist has to develop a hypothesis for how to invest in many companies. They have to have a hypothesis that's going to support investments in different types of business models that all maybe relate to a core theme. And our guest this week is someone who is rather well-informed in the AI ecosystem and has a hypothesis that I think is worth tuning into. Rudina Cesari has been on the show in the past. She is the founder and managing director of Glasswing Ventures. Glasswing Ventures is a VC firm here in the Boston area focused on AI startups. And Rudina speaks to us this week about her idea of smart data infrastructure and the future of enterprise AI. In other words, what's it going to take to enable enterprise AI? And what's the kind of ecosystem of hardware and software that's going to actually bring AI to life, make it accessible, make companies genuinely AI nimble? And what are the sorts of firms that are actually going to enable that? If you work within a big firm and you want to know what it's going to take to turn AI on, I think this interview will be useful. And if you are thinking of spinning up AI companies or even investing in AI companies, if there's a handful of you that do such things, I think this will be interesting for you as well. I know for a fact that many of our Emerge Plus members like the big picture thinking. We have a lot of best practice guides in Emerge Plus, frameworks and infographics and best practices for AI ROI, for AI adoption and deployment. And our members are well aware that some of our best ideas in Emerge Plus come from our best interviews. We draw a lot of varied perspectives that we get to draw upon and sort of discern and congeal and crunch down some of the insights that are most valuable for folks that are actually putting AI in practice. So if you're an AI consultant and you need to guide your clients, or you're an internal innovation or strategy leader who wants to know more about what AI could do in your own enterprise, consider joining Emerge Plus. This is where we boil down some of our best insights. Again, not only with our full use case library, thousands of AI use cases across industries, but also where we consistently push out our frameworks and infographics for best practices. So again, AI ROI, AI adoption, AI strategy. We pull in the best insights from our interviews and from our research and put them in simple, easy-to-deploy frameworks for folks just like you. So you can learn more about Emerge Plus at emerj.com slash p1, that's p as in plus, and the number one, emerj.com slash p1. And again, check out Emerge Plus if you haven't before, particularly if you're thinking about adopting AI or you need to guide your clients into AI adoption. Without further ado, let's dive into this hypothesis-oriented interview with the always brilliant Rudina Cesari of Glasswing Ventures here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Rudina, um, when we were talking off microphone, you had talked a bit about kind of a thesis that you have around sort of technology generally in the future of, of enterprise and B2B tech in a broad sense that certainly enables sort of artificial intelligence, which to a great extent is what you guys invest in. This topic of smart data infrastructure, can you tee up this idea and how you think enterprises should really think about it? 
Oh, absolutely. So what I refer to as the smart data infrastructure is one of our themes or theses, uh, proprietary themes or theses at Glasswing and at my firm. And what it really means is if you take a look at enterprises, large and small, I think you'd be hard pressed not to hear the term digital transformation. Why? Because we have all at this point come to terms with the fact that data is an asset. Now you have it, but then begs the question, so what? Having the data and leveraging the data are two very, very different ball games. So how do you truly take your data and turn it into an asset? I think that's another way to look at digital transformation. Now, as an aside, many, many leaders use digital transformation as an impetus for driving tech adoption, AI adoption, culture change. So it, it takes all sorts of meaning, which is probably why when you ask five execs what, what's their definition of digital transformation, yeah, you yeah, yeah. But at core, the consistent theme is data is an asset. I have data or I want data. How do I leverage it? With that as the backdrop for some level setting, our view around smart data infrastructure is how do you make the data accessible, cheaper, better, faster to use, while also being in compliance with all sorts of privacy um, and you know, regulations that are, have emerged and will continue to emerge. So how, how do you, you know, adopt and take advantage of this paradigm shift? So to that end, we have made a number of investments, one being um, chaos surgeon. Forgive me, Dan, I hope it's okay that I'm drawing from yeah, my no, direct. Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Yeah, we've, we've spoken to many of your, uh, your portfolio firms, as you know, so I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. to dive in. So Kale Search, I bring as an example, because what these guys are doing is essentially taking all of your data that's stored in cold storage, you know, I think of cold storage as, as a dumb vault, if you will, of whether it is whether you're one of the big providers, you know, S3 for, for Amazon or, or AWS, you know, GCP, Azure, whatever the case might be, or even your own virtual private cloud. Uh, if you want to access the, your data, they, you know, the chaos search is a whole new approach to this notion of the ability to search your data lake in cold storage. Why is that transformative or important? Gosh, because you know the just a, a widely acknowledged fact. On average, the cost of having your data in hot storage, are, i.e., readily available twenty four seven, is a six x factor to cold storage. So if you can keep your data in cold storage, access, mine it, visualize it, do whatever it is you want to do to leverage your data as an asset. Back to that, you know, idea, and do so for a fraction of the cost with all the capabilities, well, that could be landscape altering. That's what Chaos Surge does. So that's, that's for example, an, you know, an investment we have made. Why? Because fundamentally, as you go through digital transformation and then leverage it with um, algorithms that you have and create the intelligent enterprise, you need to bring down the cost of data. So one factor here is just cost reduction. So technologies that allow us to use data, but without the egregious expense of doing so, are, are technologies that are part of this thesis of yours. So this is one theme and you've just articulated chaos. I, I think that's been a good nutshell there if I'm hearing you correctly. And I would say is cheaper, but also better and faster. That, that if you can truly, do all of them, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. 
can do all three of them because faster as in real time. And, you know, we're talking in the nanosecond. We're not talking in minutes. And, uh, you know, and the better in that you fundamentally don't have the typical limitations that you have. So I think all three of those factors are important. Where I was starting to, to go is another, you know, idea is around... Um, decoupling data ownership from data access. So I don't know if you are familiar with Inrapt, um, a company co-founded by Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, and um, John Bruce, a fairly well-established and very successful repeat entrepreneur. But basically, Inrapt is uh, riffing off of, if you will, the SOLID, which is uh, stands for social linked data, the open source effort. And what they are enabling is a decoupling of data ownership from data access. What does that mean? The ability for individuals, but also enterprises, to take hold of their own data that's now trapped in silos across different business or consumer applications and be able to move it and make it available on an access basis rather than give up ownership to their respective customers or other value creators. Why is that important? Not only does it enable a you know, secure and private sort of future and world, but also it frees up data that need to interact with each other at a consumer level. By the way, this is an enterprise-focused company, but I often give the consumer example. My, If I'm taking a um, car sharing service in, in a normal world, um, yeah. you know, why doesn't my data from my calendar actually, you know, interface with the data from the app sharing service so that the car shows up when my meeting is over rather than that sort of friction in the system, if you will, that I have to call for it, you know, wait for it, wait a few minutes, etc. It is not a tech problem. It is not a data problem. It is a siloed problem. So they're coming up with a whole new paradigm around that. I give that as a completely different example of on how you think about freeing up data. Yeah. Okay. So that's another dimension here. Again, you're talking, you know, cheaper, better, faster, all, all these things, you know, things that often we just, we wouldn't associate we could get all at once, but of course, technology develops in many ways and we are going to see cheaper, better, faster in different dimensions. So that's maybe an example of, again, unlocking capability that from what you're saying is, is sort of there, right? If we had, the, if we, if we could just use the data, it would be there, but, but it's not, it's not accessible across these silos. And this is a company working on allowing a lot more of those data conversations to happen so that different applications can be better tuned to people, it sounds like. And I would take it to, to a level higher to say they're actually driving a paradigm shift. Why? Because effectively the data ownership sits with the generator of data, with, with you, with me, with the enterprise that created it. And in the, in their, in the paradigm and decentralization that they're enabling, you can take the data and make it available for your own benefit to the various applications without having to forego ownership. That's a big paradigm shift. Got it. Okay, cool. So that's an, that's one more example of this sort of smart data infrastructure dynamic uh, making Correct. its way into the world. Yeah. How else do you like to explain it in terms of examples or how this, this broad shift is beginning to happen? I mean, I can think of other examples, like, for example, data marketplaces. I think of the likes of narrative, for example, where there is intelligence both in the 
in the software capabilities of using a platform to enable you to pull data from different sources. So you have both the providers of data and the consumers of data. It's a B2B marketplace, but also do so again in a privacy compliant and thoughtful manner. So a whole new shift around how you think about leveraging data and leveraging infrastructure to enable that data, but also a shift in in culture and mentality about the privacy of data and and what that means for all of us going forward. That would be another example where you're seeing liquidity around data now, a notion that maybe we could have imagined, but certainly wouldn't have seen the same level of adoption, not even five years ago, leave alone earlier than that. Got it. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this maybe from the perspective of an AI vendor company or even as, as an enterprise, is there is there a way to apply this lens? You know, if I'm an enterprise leader and I'm thinking about, hmm, you know, are are, are we going to be? It sounds like if we, if we have smart data infrastructure in the way that you're articulating it, this kind of umbrella concept, you know, we'll hypothetically be able to do more. So our capability space will open up, including speed, because we'll have you know more data to use in in more ways uh, that's more productive and faster, and and also potentially reduce the cost of doing so. I'm thinking like, is there a way for me as an enterprise person to sort of ask if I can unlock more of this within my own firm? You know, is there advice, things that you've learned, companies you think are, are you know, outside of the vendor ecosystem, maybe companies that are doing this well, or kind of, you know, I, I guess for lack of better terms, Rodina, enterprise advice related to this concept, because I know a lot of our listeners are, are going to want to stay ahead of the curve, but might not know how. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very fair question. It's also a very broad question, sure. because I would say, depending on the department, but what I would say is perhaps at the highest level, um, your IT function and and department is no longer an enabler of running your trains on time. You know, uh, the CIO, if you will, is dead, long live the CTO. Why do I make that statement? Because no matter what business you are in, you um, you know you are a tech-enabled business. No matter what industry you're in. So the the most basic question is: What facets do I want to leverage? Technology, software, AI, what have you? And what facets do I want to you know leverage the highest capabilities of my workforce? And how do I do so in a symbiosis? And then when you look at what facets of my of my department or business do I leverage? Technology? Is it to catch up? Is it to have some sort of competitive advantage? Uh, do I decouple it? Am I softwareizing, uh, you know, mundane tasks to cre- to do so more efficiently and free up my higher value, you know, human capital? Or, you know, am I doing so because I want to get access to more data or put the data to work for me because it will lead in better results? So. Again, think of yourself, or or not you, but you and I, your listeners, think about how how do you view your department, how do you view your organization and the business overall as a technology-enabled business, where then with technology, digital transformation and data plays a critical role. If you don't do that your competition will eat your lunch. They will eat at it either because they're, they're going to get scale faster because they will have better intelligence or simply because their performance will be better. I think that shift, that mindset is critically important. Yeah. What do you think is going to make this click in the enterprise? You know, we, we think a lot about the deployment challenges and opportunities of AI in the enterprise and, you know, the cultural factors, the skill factors, the data infrastructure factors that sort of make it so that, 
we can't always get the C-suite to think of a really nice, coherent, makes sense, not misinformed vision of how data and AI might, might affect their, their business because the space is kind of new. The concepts are, are a little bit foreign oftentimes to, to leadership. When you think about how this uh, smart data infrastructure sort of concept is going to make its way into becoming the norm, you know, make its way into strategy conversations in the enterprise, make its way into what companies are all kind of moving closer to, you know, really seeing it as an imperative and, and not just doing it for its own sake, like back in the old days, when we would just get Hadoop and throw all of our data into a big lake and think that we're doing big data, you know, hopefully we're not doing something silly like that. But, uh, you know, f f really leveraging it intelligently, not just following it mindlessly as a, as a buzzword, what's going to have to happen in the enterprise for that to become a normal thought pattern? Because I think right now it's more common than it was maybe two years ago, but, you know, I, I, I still hope it picks up steam more. Yeah, I mean, look, depending on the department, let's speak, I don't know, sales and marketing. Your sales and marketing departments are going to be, or, or and, 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 and workforces are going to be avid users of technology, technologies that are powered by data. And they're doing that already. Whether it's a B2B company enterprise or B2C, you know, your marketing is no, when was the last time that you saw marketing be dominated by medmen like, you know, thinking? Yeah, no, yeah. it's all about optimization, how you leverage your data. We have we have a portfolio company, actually, Plana. They're, they're former Nuance executives and Bostonians, so they spell it P-L-A-N-A. And you age, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. with a Boston accent, yeah. but um, AI who have an international accent, but have you as you know, be that as it may, what they are doing, they're saying, Hey, you have your marketing budget, guess what? You don't have uh, vis clear visibility in, into the optimization of their various sort of uh, marketing initiatives and campaigns and what have you, nor do you know how you're performing, nor do you know how to benchmark vis a vis your competitors. Let us help you and leverage AI and give you visibility in real time and the levers to move things around to, to achieve higher performance and a higher ROI. Oh, and by the way, let me also reduce some friction um, in how you turn around and whatever codes you have that you are integrating, if you will, with your finance department because they're classifying this as XYZ expense, but in fact, it's something else. Let me help you automate that as well. I give that premise because they're going after a real and big problem in marketing organizations and enterprises. And oh, by the way, so what are you doing? You're using data and you're using technology. So uh, that, that goes back to my earlier statement. Every company in some facet or another is a tech-enabled company. Or going back to the CIO, CISO, CTO, however the, the title is defined, um, and we talked about the smart data infrastructure. Well, like it or not, you're living in an environment where you're probably, op depending on what business applications you're using, where your data is stored, you probably have a bunch of your data and information on-premise still, quite a bit that you've migrated maybe to the cloud, but some of it is residing on other clouds because of the consumerization of the enterprise. You live in a hybrid environment. How do you take hold of that? How do you manage? And then, you know, how do you secure for it? But I won't even go there. How do you optimize for it? How do you make it cheaper, better, faster, and also reduce complexity? So these are real questions that I think every department is dealing with. What is going to come down to is the C-suite, you know, team taking a holistic look and saying, I'm dealing with it in every regard. How do I think about making it core part of my DNA? So it's, it's a, a culture question as much as anything. 
and the culture stuff is is not easy stuff, as you and I are well aware. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's it's certainly not easy stuff. Final little closeout idea here, Rodina. I'm thinking about the people who are listening and who are de- developing, you know, AI and data related tools and products. Potentially, you know, the, the vendor world that that might be tuned in. You know, are, are there ways that they should try to maybe think about the smart data infrastructure concept and paradigm in what they're building. In other words, maybe instead of asking, okay, what are we enabling with AI? Can they maybe be asking deeper questions around, okay, are there ways that we can integrate with these, you know, with with a bank, you know, let's just say that we're selling into banking, integrate with their systems through a, a more innovative API that makes it easier for us to get, you know, integrated and so kind of frees up the potential there. Is there a way for us to, you know, leverage compute in a more efficient fashion so that, you know, we can get to that cheaper element that maybe they could even do in-house? Should we think about this as as the developers of products too? And if so, how? Um, very good question. I think it's it's a two-faceted approach. Is asking the right questions by the right people with the right DNA. I, I don't mean to keep going back to to the cultural question, but if you have the right talent that they don't need to know the answers, but they know how to ask the right questions and then go and explore what's available, make you know buy versus build decisions, or at least not code at home, you know third party decisions. I mean, one one idea I will give you is it is clear to me, and it's been clear for some time that. You know, uh, going after homegrown solutions versus third-party solutions is the wrong approach. Increasingly, you're going to go after best of breed, and then you're going to have to balance with how do you stitch it all together. You need the right DNA that there. Also, make a decision of who you who you are or who do you want to be. Do you want to be at the cutting edge and an early adopter of technology to, to, to create an advantage? And if so, how are you thinking about innovation? How are you thinking about testing and then adopting and adopting technologies um, across your organization and doing so efficiently. If you don't want to be at the very cutting edge, but you want to be what I call a fast follower, how do you want to do that? And is your fast follower lingo for I can't focus on this right now? Or is it truly a fast follower? And if you're going to be a lagger, not that anyone wants to be called that, (laughs) what is the cost of doing so? And, you know, you know, is it extinction? Is it, are you kidding me? And we're totally fine. Is it something in between? So it's a strategic decision. It's a cultural decision. It's a DNA decision. I mean, you, you know, I, I've been thinking about what companies do this well. Um, I'll give you two examples. I think what Sterling National Bank of New York, since, you know, you've been tapping to financial services a couple of times, their CTO and CISO is incredible. The agility and, you know, just I've, I've listened to what he has to say, just the agility, the cutting edge, but grounded approach of, okay, I want to be at the forefront, but constantly delivering value. It's very impressive. At a perhaps bigger scale, as you look at what companies like GlaxoSmithKline, what, um, and, you know, both at the, at the top level, what CTOs and chief digital officers like Karen and Terrell have done there, but also if you look at just their consumer business and what the likes of Mark Spikert have done there, completely transformed where it's a data-driven organization. And, and of course, you know, the CEOs that they have at their helm. So use, and I give you those examples because they're both public companies, they're both very, very large companies, and they, they have gotten it done. So it's doable. Yeah, changing culture is doable. 
clearly involves the right people in the seats, also involves getting those right people as educated as they can be about the strategic considerations and the opportunities and the challenges of the future so they can think realistically about it. And that's what this show is about. And Rudina, that's what your insights are about today. So hopefully you've contributed a little bit to that culture shift. You know, you and I have put our our shoulder to that culture shift grindstone for about 20 minutes today. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. And, and if I haven't contributed, at least I've hopefully given people some questions to ponder. <laughs> you, you bet. You bet. This has been a blast. Thanks as always. That's all for this episode. And thank you so much for listening all the way through. And thank you to Rudina for being able to join us again on the show. We've previously had Vlad Sejnoa, who is another member at Glasswing Ventures on the program as well. I would admonish you to check out Vlad's episode on the AI and Business Podcast. It was from maybe a year and a half ago. His episode had to do with sort of must-know knowledge for AI adoption and getting started with AI in the enterprise. He was previously CTO at Nuance Communications, which was recently bought for nearly $20 million by Microsoft. So Vlad is also a brilliant person, a great guest, and I think Glasswing has some really smart folks. So I'd encourage you to listen to Vlad's episode and Verdina's past episode too. And if you've enjoyed what you've learned here, whether it be from VCs or industry leaders or startup folks, and you want to be able to support the show, it would mean the world to have you drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I often don't remember to mention it enough in our intros and outros, but I've been trying to more often and we've had more great reviews because of it. So again, if you've enjoyed the show, you've benefited from what you've learned here in your career, your business, or what have you, drop us a five-star review. You can go to Apple Podcasts. We used to be called iTunes. Search for AI and business and leave us a review with what you've learned. This not only helps other people learn more about the show and really helps support the show, but also helps us create better episodes. It is often our podcast reviews and the conversations that I have with our members and our listeners from around the world that help us to shape our editorial calendar, help us to determine who we want to go after to create more good episodes for listeners like yourself. So again, you can go on Apple Podcasts and find the AI and Business Show if you'd like to support us. And otherwise, thanks so much for simply just being here and listening. I appreciate having you, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>